Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Prophecy Update. As always, it's our desire to bring the events that are happening in the world from a biblical perspective and also a prophetic perspective. So thanks for joining us this week. What we want to look at this week is the Great Narrative Initiative. And so recently, the World Economic Forum and the government of the United Arab Emirates hosted the Great Narrative in Dubai and this was uh, about a week ago or so. The Great Narrative Meeting brought uh, the so-called global elites, the Davos man types, um, world leaders and things of that nature together again. Um, and these guys are nothing but professing themselves wise, but are fools, okay? They think they're so smart because of their billions of dollars. Um, and they came from all over the globe and different sectors of society, you know, futurist geneticists, philosophers, world leaders, and, and many more uh, others. Well, anyway, why did they come together? Well, they're going to have the Great Reset meeting in January in Davos like they normally do. But this was to establish a narrative, an official narrative for what they want. See, they want to implement... Uh, all this global reset thing that they that we've talked about before, but they first has to have to establish a global narrative, and the global narrative will serve as a path, a blueprint, uh, or a map of how they're going to implement this and what what they want people to to conform to. And in their words, this global narrative that they want, it's going to be a more resilient, prosperous, inclusive, eco-friendly, and sustainable vision for the collective future. Doesn't that sound great? All it is is setting up the one world government. But anyway, it's their agenda that they want everyone to follow, and they want, they want this to become law, basically, around the globe in every country. And basically what these these Davos elites, these, these globalist elites, are attempting to legitimize their Great Reset agenda through this narrative. That's what this was about. And again, these globalists, you have to understand them. Like guys like Bill Gates, George Soros, and, and Klaus, Klaus Schwab, and other guys like that, they're running around thinking they're little gods, right? And they want to decide our future. They're going to decide how life will be going forward. And basically, you've heard the, the phrases that, uh, uh, you know, we'll own nothing and be happy. But we're nothing to them. You have to understand, they don't care about humanity. They don't care about saving lives. All they care about is making humanity into slaves and killing off the weak, the elderly, uh, the, the, those who have physical or mental handicaps. That's what this is about. They want good worker bees working in the hive. And again, they're going to decide what they think is best for us. Well, when man decides what he thinks is best uh, for us, it's basically uh, hell come to earth is what it, really what it's going to turn into. And this goes all the way back to Babylon. We'll talk a lot about, about Babylon today because it's important to see what happened uh, with the original Tower of Babel 
and then what's happening today because the two go hand in hand. And so as they're establishing this blueprint, this code that they want everybody to go by, they want, uh, they're going to basically try to control everything, every facet of our lives. They want to control our future. They want to control our spending habits, our gasoline consumptions, your CO2 emissions, uh, what food you'll eat, um, you know, how, how, how you, what air temperature you run in, run your house in, uh, your medical, they want to contract you. They want, uh, to vaccinate you. And, and all of the stuff that we've been talking about is wrapped up into this agenda, this narrative. And, uh, they want to implement it basically. Again, it's purely authoritarian. It's their version of how humanity rises to the next evolutionary process in their, and that's their words. Um, and so in essence, it's how they achieve basically what we know from the Bible, global unity, global governance, global economics, global religion, and using technology by resetting all of global society and the global economy. That's what this is about. The main guy behind this is Klaus Schwab. You've known his name from the World Economic Forum. He's the founder, executive, and chairman of the World Economic Forum. And so he typically runs the narrative and gets the buy-in from everybody else. But he said this, the pandemic has revealed the acute need to focus on the future and long-term health of our societies. So health is always going to be factored in there. He says the great narrative initiative and this meeting in Dubai that they just had will be a powerful catalyst to shape the contours of a more prosperous and inclusive future for humanity that is also more respectful of nature. There's the uh, worship of creation there. And he goes on, I want to thank Minister uh, Gerwawi uh, and, and the government of the United Arab Emirates for their support in this initiative to address the unprecedented challenge facing today's world. That's, so this minister that he refers to, Gergawi, is part of the United Arab Emirates. You're going to hear him in a, just a little bit on a video clip that I have, but he's all lockstep into this. Uh, even Muslim countries, yes, Muslim countries are buying into this, yes. So this Muhammad Abdullah al-Gergawi He's the Minister of Cabinet Affairs of the United Arab Emirates said, this meeting in Dubai is an opportunity to have a global conversation about a future we must envision and craft collectively. There's that word collectively. The UAE welcomes this, this conversation and some of the world's leading thinkers to inspire and spur action towards greater humanism, innovation, and a future that is replete with opportunity and shared prosperity. Shared prosperity sounds like uh, redistribution of the wealth. Yeah, it's all Marxism, communism, and all that stuff in there. But anyway, this guy goes on and he says that people, people from the societies around the world want transformation. Really, we do? I don't want your, your kind of transformation. I don't think so. Uh, and he says that in the video clip, I'll show in just a bit, that people are tired of seeing that only 1% owns the wealth that seven, of 7 billion people. Well, hey, um, if we go your way, it will still be the same because the elites will have all the wealth and we will be dirt poor. So it's funny they state that, but that's exactly the system they're setting up to cause, right? And that almost half of the world's population lives on $6 a day, they say, and that the, in the, 
and that the last 70 years has been the warmest on record, so we can't deny climate change. Again, another lie. It's, it, it, it's a lie for this climate change. And again, using all these what they call existential threats to get us to conform to their narrative. Anyway, he continues on, says, hey, there's going to be five times more technological devices than people living on the earth. So we have to adapt technology wise. Oh, because they want to track us. Right. That's what they want to do. And so anyway, this new blueprint will bring hope and peace and unity, security to the world. Doesn't it sound so nice? But yet it's so evil. Right. Um, and he goes, he'll take more than the whole of government approach because all humanity is needed. Oh, so we need a global reaction to what you're saying. You see, a global unity, a global action. And so the governments of the world uh, will be able to design its future citizens to see the importance of a sustainable and better future. Blah, blah, blah. It all sounds so nice, but it is so evil because it's sending the world into extreme poverty where only elites have the money and everyone else is dirt poor and is controlled by them. Anyway, here's some clips I picked out from this great narrative uh, meeting that they just had. And I, I parsed out some clips and you can hear them say certain things that I want you to listen to. Okay, so watch this. Please. Dear participants, what pleasure to be together again and to design the future. We are here to develop the great narrative, a story for the future, that in order to shape the future, you have first to imagine the future, you have to design the future, and then you have to execute. So here, I think the next two days, we will look how we imagine, how we decide, how we execute the great narratives, how we define the story of our world for the future. People are looking for way for a great transformation. We need, as a world, a new blueprint. In fact, a new great narrative. We need a new great narrative because we live in the world where the richest 1% have more than double the wealth of 7 billion people. Why almost half of the world population lives under $6 a day. We need a new great narrative because the last seven years were the warmest on record. We cannot afford to waste more time on inaction or denial about the climate change. We need a new great narrative because the world has been through one of the largest economic downturn in its history. And we need a new great narrative because our digital world will be as important as the physical one.
Already there are more connected devices than people in the world. And by 2025, there will be five times more devices than people in this planet. We need a new great narrative because it will inspire both hope and action. And government, first and foremost, are in the business of installing hope. A business that touched 7.8 billion people who strive for a better future. It is time to imagine what role government should play to enable this new great narrative. As you know, global challenge requires global solution. A whole of government approach is simply not enough. We need a whole of society and a whole of humanity approach. Collectively, we are the author of this new chapter. We cannot be passive and reactive. The future belongs to those who can imagine it, design it, and implement it. We are here in the Emirates to examine the possible scenario ahead of us. How can we design government to be future ready, to be citizen ready? How do we lead the world into a sustainable and better future? And of course, what will be the great narrative? Your Excellency, when we look at the world uh, today, we see difficulties actually to shape the future. And I just would mention three of those obstacles. Uh, the first one is certainly the fact that um, maybe also caused by uh, the pandemic, people have become much more self-centered and to a certain extent egoistic. So in such a situation, it's much more difficult to create a compromise because shaping the future, designing the future, usually needs a common will of the people. The second reason why it's so difficult to, to uh, move out of, uh, let's say, our present context and really to design the future is the fact that we all have become so much crisis focused with the pandemic. And then I would add a third factor. Um, the world has become so complex so simple solutions to complex uh, problems do not suffice anymore. You have today not anymore the separation between social, political, technological, ecological. It's all interwoven. So it's very difficult in such a situation to really bring everybody together and to imagine and to design the future. Today, I believe that we sit in the first second of the first minute of the first day of the first year when it comes to the 
second wave of human evolution, and that's based on technology. But country who have strong government with future foresight can evolve totally different. Than a lab that country can coexist with each other. But also not that, but how do you bring 200 nationality, all the religion of the world, in the heart of the Middle East, and people live in peace and harmony without any social or religious or ethnic issue. The world is complex. The example that I gave is our job as designer in the government is to bring people and humanity together. This is the future. And, and how do you utilize technology for a better improvement of our region and our world? We are, as you mentioned, in some kind of a new, a, new, a completely new transforma, uh, transformation phase of humankind. So after watching that, did you notice they used the word evolution? And, and Klaus Schwab said that there are obstacles to preventing all this from achieving their global utopia. See, in their terms, they want to evolve spiritually and physically. Now, where did evolution come from? Evolution didn't come from Darwin. Evolution came from Satan. In all pagan religions, they believe, all the way back to Babylon, that men can evolve into gods, that human beings can evolve into a higher level, a spirit creature, a, a, a god per se. And that's been a lie that goes ancient, ancient to Babylon, okay? And so they're still doing this. So they want to get to the next evolution. The funny thing about getting to the next evolutional strata, which they talk about, is funny that the New Agers say the same thing and say that the Christians are the problem that's holding everything back from getting to the new spiritual evolution. And so eventually the, uh, they say that uh, uh, the aliens are going to beam us up and take us out of the way for re-education in the alien ships and so that uh, humanity can reach its next evolution and save Mother Earth. I, I, I kid you not, that is what the New Agers say. It's so crazy, but it plays into the whole, the whole thing. They're on the same page, the world economics are on the same page, and they both hate us. Makes sense, right? And they, they both got to explain us a way that we're holding them back, okay? So anyway, as you can see, Klaus Schwab says there's all kinds of things holding us back. He goes, first, after the pandemic, people have become much more self-centered. Oh, what does he mean by that? Well, what's really happened is they've tried to take away our rights. In fact, they have taken away our rights and they're not going to give them back. And, you know, it, it's this mantra that you hear that uh, people say, I'm not going to be vaccinated because that's a violation of my rights. And then you, you have the, them come back to you and say, well, you, this is a pandemic. You don't have any rights in a pandemic. Uh, forget your liberties when there's threats to society and threats to people dying. You see that, that same language? That's what Klaus Schwab is trying to say. That your rights need to be put aside for the global good. And he's saying, you guys are too self-centered. You're too, you're too selfish thinking about yourselves preserving your own lives. And again, that's not true. He's, he's lying. 
but this is a way of manipulating people to buy in, to conform to this. And so he says, uh, Klaus Schwab, in this video, you know, we have to establish a common will, a common interest, to make sacrifices for long-term change. Really? So what he's trying to say is, you give up your rights for the common will and the common interest. We'll lock you down for your good. We'll vaccinate you for your good. No, despite your rights, we'll violate your rights to do that. That's what he's saying, guys. Second, he also says that we have to have a sustainable or be sustainable enough uh, in our in our society to save the planet. You know, that's ESG, going green, all this other junk that are going to come on us with more taxes, carbon credits, all that junk. And also, he goes, we're not inclusive enough. Okay, you know what he's aiming at right there is we're not inclusive enough because he's aiming at the target of Christianity. Because Christianity says, hey, homosexuality is wrong. Uh, transgenderism is wrong, right? It says that. Uh, sexual morality is wrong. And that's not inclusive enough for them, right? That's not inclusive. Christianity says there's only one way of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's not inclusive enough. So the target you have to understand is Christianity and Judaism as well. They're targeting that to get it out of the way because we're not inclusive enough, right? And third, he says that they, they want people to care and pay for the climate, the climate catastrophe that's happening, which is a, a nothing but a hoax. But you and I will eventually have to pay this in taxes, in a form of taxes, uh, to pay for saving the planet. They're going to make this possible through economics, and they're going to tax us to death with it. That's what he's referring to, that everyone's going to pay their share to save the planet. And then he goes on and says he wants stronger cooperation between countries. Uh, this global revolution, uh, he says, you know, everyone has to get together. So what's happening is this in this revolution that they're talking about, it is not from bottom up, but like most revolutionary movements in history. This is for the first time we've ever seen a top-down revolution coming from these global elite authoritarians. This is a revolution, but it's coming from the top. And they want, they want basically global cooperation among the nations. They want the nations to bend the knee to you know, the global narrative, right? And they're going to do it through policy. They're going to do it through economics, religion, militarily, corporations, big tech, and through propaganda of the media and educational systems. And that's what they're doing. I read an article recently by Tim Hinchcliffe. He's the editor of The Sociable, and he talks about grand narratives, okay? And so this is the narrative that they're creating at The Great Reset, is they're creating what we call a grand narrative, a meta-narrative, okay? And he, he mentions the philosophy behind this. He says, the idea of a great narrative or a grand narrative is something that the French philosopher Jean-Francois uh, Lyotard called the grand narrative, also known as the meta-narrative, basically which functions to legitimize power, authority, and social customs. He goes on to say that everything that the Great Reset is trying to achieve is, is seen in the meta-narrative. They want to legitimize their power. They want their authority. They want social customs to be changed, right? That's what they're doing through this, this great narrative initiative. And basically, authoritarians use great narratives to legitimize their own power. 
And they do this by claiming to have knowledge and understanding that speaks to a universal truth. And at the same time, these authoritarians use these grand narratives in an attempt to translate alternative accounts into their own language and to suppress all objections to what they themselves are saying. Man, that couldn't be more spot on. That is exactly what they're doing. So they're going to say, hey, man, you, can't not be, you cannot be a climate denier. Or you can't, you're, you're anti-vax, you're anti-science, you're anti-medicine. That's what they're doing, right? They're doing that right now. But they're wanting to formalize this. They're wanting to put teeth to this to say that eventually this is going to be law. If you speak out against these narratives, then you're the one in trouble. There will not be any free speech. You have to understand that. That's what great narratives or meta-narratives do. They basically suppress the truth, which is exactly what they're doing right now, but not on a uniform basis and not on a legal basis. They're just doing it through media, social media, big tech, and stuff like that. But it's going to become law one day. That's what they want from this. And so basically, in, when you study grand narratives or meta-narratives like what they're perpetrating, they're simply fables. They're just made up, right? They don't exist. You know, uh, the exaggeration of coronavirus, the, the, uh, the idea that it came from a, a wet market and came from a bat, you know, in a wet market that they're eating bat soup or something like that. It's all made up. Uh, the idea that the, the, the globe is getting warmer, it's all made up. All these things are made up, right? And created to be a crisis or an existential threat. And that's the unifying aspect that you have to understand. These fables become the unifying aspect. And let me add this, it has a religious overtone to it. It, it becomes religion. Right? And this is why people get so hostile. It has become a religion for them. That's why people can't figure out why are people so uh, can't get this? Why, why can't they look at facts and evidence anymore? Because it's now a religion for them. And they have to defend their religion. That's what meta narratives do. They cause people to fear whatever crisis there is, which forces compliance and defending of the narrative. And it's because of fear. And so the World Economic Forum meta-narrative is basically we need to unify to protect ourselves from all these threats, all these crises. And the things they've talked about, we talked about this last week, the threat of measles and smallpox and bioterrorism, global warming, these are all existential threats. We've got to create a task force, give them billions and billions of dollars from the United States and the UK to create a task force to solve these problems, right? Basically, it's to fund the global government, right? And, and because we've been living unsustainable. And so they got to attack the free market. They have to attack uh, capitalism because, you know, it's all about greed in their minds, right? It's all greedy. And so we, get, we got to get it uh, to a point where, where everyone has income equality and there's no poverty and everyone has free housing and free medical we have to go green all that junk that's what they mean by sustainable basically redistribute wealth give a bunch of wealth to to people who didn't earn it 
and steal wealth from other people. That's what sustainability means for them. And they do, they'll do it on the national level with countries. They're going to deplete America of billions and billions of dollars to give to these crazy organizations. And at the same time, then hit the average American citizen to also pay for these things like carbon offsets and going green and making your house green and you not driving because of a limitation on gas or whatever it might be. And so this is what they mean by that. And, and see, this, this is a meta-narrative. And the meta-narrative is also meant to suppress the truth. Suppress the truth about capitalism, free market. Suppress the truth by discouraging free speech and making it hate speech. Suppress the truth by uh, suppressing religious uh, freedom, right? Suppress the truth by crushing the Judeo-Christian ethics and morality that hinders them from, from, from them achieving what they want to achieve and butts up against the narrative of, you know, of the World Economic Forum. This is what they're doing. But here, let me tell you something, guys. There's nothing new under the sun. Basically, what we're dealing with is, is the reestablishment of Babylon, the Babylonian system. And so if you actually want to know what they're doing, you have to go backwards to understand what happened in Genesis 11. And basically, what we see back in Genesis 11 is Nimrod used a meta-narrative back in Genesis 11 to cause a crisis, a manufactured crisis, which caused fear, which caused him to gain control over all the people of the world. And so we got to go back and study that a little bit so you'll know how to see the next step from these global elites. So let's go back to Babylon. Let's go back to Genesis 11, 1 through 4, and let's study this a little bit. And it says this, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Now let me explain this a little bit about the one language. See, they believed back in Genesis that one language would guarantee co a cooperation. So they would not have to learn to respect social and personal differences, cultural differences, right? Because there would be no differences between individuals or groups of people. They would put them all on this level playing field, okay? There would be only one group of people with one and the same language for all of humanity. And this seemed to be, to them, the ideal way for humans to create harmony and avoid strife and violence. Now that's wrong, because as you know, God scattered them and created different languages, remember that? 70 nations were created, so 70 languages. And that helps humanity um, in this sense. It prevents globalism, but language, culture, and borders keeps people spread out to prevent evil. Because if you have different groups, then yeah, one group could get evil, and then their other groups go and, 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 and basically block that evil through war or whatever that might be, to stop it. Just like the world gathered against Hitler to stop him, right? And, and so that's the idea of nation states and why God wants them. But to put everybody clumped up under one system 
creates the ultimate evil because if the top goes evil, which they are already evil, then everyone else goes evil. The whole system goes evil. Everything that comes down, top down, goes evil. And so there's no checks and balances in that kind of system. So that's why they thought that having one language was better between individuals because, oh, it's going to erase our differences. But really what it was is to create a top-down evil system. And we must be cautious as believers not to be united to this system. We are not to go along with this system. We are to stand against this system. We are to stand for God's morality, ethics, and doctrine from the Bible and not go into this system for unity, right? So we can never compromise. So we got to keep that in mind, okay? Verse 2 says this, And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. Verse 4, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower, whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now what's happening here is you have a group rebellion, a collectivism that's happening that Nimrod created. That's what Davos, that's what the World Economic Forum and the global elites are creating right now is collectivism. You see collectivism in the word, let us. All of us humanity. So they're clumping all of us humanity together. Let us solve global warming. Let us solve racism, hoax. Let us solve the pandemic. Let us solve the new pandemics of measles and mumps and, and uh, smallpox. Let us do that. That's collectivism. And so their society back in Babylon that Nimrod had created was not based on individualism or individual freedoms and rights. No. It was not about the individual. It was about the group collective, that you will do things to help the group and give up your rights to help the group. That's what was happening in Babylon. And basically, they set up a victim coalition through a meta-narrative. They were convinced that they were being oppressed by God. Okay? And that God would bring another flood on them. And uh, they, they didn't see God as their friend. They saw God as their enemy. And that's how Nimrod led them astray. And, and basically, they, they wanted their people to set aside their own personal convictions and freedoms and come with, as a group consensus to fight against what God would, would they thought, do to them again. Okay? So God became the enemy. So it's like today, set aside your individuality, set aside your rights, set aside your beliefs, uh, set aside your Christianity, set aside your theology, uh, because you're nothing but a, bu a bunch of fundamentalists, and you, you think narrowly, and let's come together with consensus through compromise and solve the world's problems. See, it's the same thing. Nothing's changed. So now they're going to do it through vaccines, uh, fighting uh, more coronaviruses, mandates, save the planet, got to destroy capitalism. And so that's the group thought, the group consensus, right? Let's talk about the bricks real quick. 
You go back to Genesis 11.3. It says this, Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. So let's explain this a little bit and how this functioned into today and this global uh, narrative, meta-narrative that the Great Reset is perpetrating. Let's talk about on a societal level. The bricks that they were using were not only real bricks to build the buildings that they were building, but they represent something. They represent how the whole system, this Babylonian system, views people. Okay? They view people as all the same. There's no individuality. They, everyone's identical and uniform. That's what they want. So you can't have divergent views. You have to fall in line. And as you can see with bricks, it's not easy to distinguish one brick from another, right? A brick can serve equally well anywhere in the wall. It doesn't matter. That's what they're trying to create with humanity right now through the Great Reset, through this narrative. And every brick is replaceable, right? So basically they are, their understanding of humanity is every human is replaceable. They're basically uh, 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 are functionally undifferentiated and interchangeable. Okay, that's how they view humanity. That's what they're trying to do. And everyone must conform to the size and shape of the brick. So basically, you cannot have your own opinion. If you do, anyone who disagrees with them will be deplatformed, demonetized, even banned for participating in society. You, you must have the shape of a brick, is the idea. And so just like what's happening with the vaccine passports and, and vaccine mandates, man, if you're not on board on that, then you're the pariah. You're the problem. Because we want good bricks. Conform or else. And this, this is fueling the system for a social credit system, digital identity that's all coming our way. You're going to have to conform, they, they say, to the brick because we're going to implement this on you. And basically, once the Great Reset has the great narrative in place, this meta-narrative, and it's legal, it will be locked in, and the whole world will have to go by this meta-narrative. And if you go against it, you're conspiratorial. That's what they're trying to make this about. You're, you're giving misinformation. You're an extremist, Brandon. Uh, and you must be censored, and you must be suppressed for the greater collective good. This is what they're doing now with the medical industry, right? The scientific industry. Anyone that comes along and tells them something different about the coronavirus or tells them something different about the vaccine, they shut them down. Think about this. I've been deplatformed off of YouTube and Vimeo now because I go against the World Health Organization because I have another set of facts and evidence that have come to light and they don't want to hear it. So they shut it down because I'm not a brick. You're not a brick. Don't ever become a brick because that's what they want. And notice this, it, with bricks, the bricks support the structure of conformity. So basically, in such a state, citizens will be made to conform to uniform standards and will lose their individual identities. Their work will be reduced to interchangeable roles. Um, they wanted to build their city, right, with uniform manufactured bricks instead of natural unhewn stones. So basically, they, they had to form and shape the brick, right? So what they're doing now through the meta-narrative 
is forming and shaping the people into the bricks. That's what they're doing. And if you're not being able to be conformed, you're going to be tossed aside. Okay? See, they didn't want stones that were uncut by human hands because they have different shapes and they have different colors from all, uh, from all other stones. And basically showing that, in, that humans are individuals. They have different opinions. They have rights. Uh, they don't all fit together. But they want a highly organized, conformist, teamwork, factory behavior type of person with an all-encompassing purpose. And that's what's happening now. They're doing this with issues like climate change, carbon emissions, energy usage, green new deals, alternative uh, alternative proteins instead of meat, uh, consumption of food, consumption of gas, fossil fuels, the elimination of them, land use. They want to eliminate land use. They want to control all the land use. This is why they're buying up farmland. They want to move to a cryptocurrency, a digital currency. Uh, this is why they want internet governance because they don't want websites like ours on there or anyone else going against the narrative. You see, this is why you see it in politics. This is why you see the, the media giving misinformation about what's going on. Uh, and basically, uh, that's how they're doing it. Remember, bricks are worthless. To them, to the global elites, to Bill Gates, to George Soros, humans are worthless. And because they have lost all their uniqueness in this system, they will become utterly worthless. They don't care, guys, if people die. They don't care. In fact, they want to depopulate the planet. They don't care if people die from the vaccines. They don't care if people die from the corona uh, manufactured uh, virus. They don't care. They just don't care. Because there's hundreds more like you and I, and they'll just take one brick out and replace it with another. You're only seen as useful if you contribute to the structure. If the brick breaks, not made right, it's rejected. Okay, so they're going to be doing that through soft euthanasia, abortion. They're going to segregate you and I. They're going to persecute you and I. Um, all this other stuff to get rid of the bricks that don't conform. And basically this, what's coming our way with this meta-narrative is that if you cannot contribute to society, then your life has no value. So if you're mentally handicapped, physically handicapped, elderly, or a baby and you can't contribute to society, then they don't need you. This is how Babylon works, guys. This is how it works. And this is how they view people. The Bible doesn't view us like that. The Bible views us that we're all individually made in the image of God and unique and special, and we're not interchangeable, right? That's how the Bible speaks of it, not how the Babylonian speaks about it. Um, and so to, to them, people are just irreplaceable. Uh, are replaceable and we'll just replace you with another brick. Let's talk about the slime or basically the tar or bitumen or asphalt. So they made these bricks and this is important to understand. They made these bricks which represents humans being put into the system but they combined the bricks with this black tar, this black asphalt, this black bitumen and that's how they kept the bricks together. They didn't use clay. They used this black asphalt, okay, black tar. So 
what they're doing, what this represents, the black tar, obviously, is that it's man-created. The bricks are man-created, right? And the tar is man-created. They take the bitumen and they fashion it and they, they, they use it as a seal and a glue to put the bricks together. Again, it's what man creates and the, the asphalt is what holds the system together, holds the building together, okay? So now let's move on to an application on this. So it points to humans, but it points to something that holds the humans together. So in the Babylonian system, what holds people together, what is the unifying factor, is that it is a false religion that holds humans together, okay? A false religion, a false view of reality that's humanistically created, but satanically inspired, obviously. So the Babylonian religion was humanly created, but satanically inspired. That's what we see right now. The whore of Babylon is on the move. She's growing in power. Again, she's a man's system of religion, but satanically inspired. And so that becomes the glue. This whore of Babylon becomes the glue that unites all the world together, all the nations together, all the politics together, all the economies together, all the, all the corporations, the merchants of the world, as it's called, is through the uniting factor of the whore of Babylon religion. So when you see the tenets, the morality, and the ethics of the Great Reset, they are espousing the tenets of the whore of Babylon. That's what you have to understand. And they're trying to unify people through this narrative, through this meta-narrative, that this is the new religion and you will conform to it and it will be what unites all of humanity. And right now it's working very well, but it's going to be legalized one day. That's my point. It's happening right now. It is the glue that's unifying all the world together. How is it that all the world is on the same page as far as global warming? How is it that all the world got the same memo, memo about fighting the coronavirus with stupid vaccines. How did they get that? How did they have all the same talking points? How did they get everyone on this? Because the glue that, that unites them is being used to, to put the bricks together. And it's being done by the Great Reset, the Great Narrative, and global elites. That's what's happening. And so this slime or glue is gonna hold people together. Think about this. Even the apostate, a false believer, a false teacher like Walter uh, Rosenbush, who is the father, believe it or not, of social go the social gospel movement. Think about this. This is what he said. The only power that can make socialism succeed is religion. It cannot work in an irreligious country. Now, that, again, that's, I'm quoting a false believer, okay, uh, an apostate. Uh, but why am I doing that? Because they know, our enemies know, that they have to use a false religion to glue everybody together, even if you're going to introduce socialism. For socialism to work, you have to have a 
a man-made religion, whatever that might be. Now, that's what's happening now. This whole thing that we're seeing is a false religion. This is why people can't make sense of it. This is why people don't look at facts and evidence. And when you try to tell them it doesn't work because it's a religion, a man-made religion, which like Marx said, that religion is the opium of the masses. I, I, I cannot stand Karl Marx, but he was right on that. False religions, made up religions, become like opiate, an opium to the masses. True religion doesn't do that. True faith in God doesn't do that, but false religions do. This is why you can't speak facts and evidence. It's all emotional. It's, uh, it's on a false religious tone. And that's why we see people not even looking at the facts and evidence with science right now, uh, even about global warming or even about the vaccines and the, and the coronavirus, because it's turned into a religion. But even our enemies know this, guys. Even our enemies know this. So the bricks are the people and the nations, and they will be forced together via the asphalt of the whore of Babylon. That's what it is. And like Hincliffe states in his article, he says, the World Economic Forum is keenly aware of the philosophy behind narratives and how to use it to manipulate human behavior, which is exactly what they're doing, right? And historically, grand narratives like that of Marxism, ignore science, disregard alternative perspectives, and censor dissenting ideas, right? That's what meta-narratives do. That's what this, this narrative will do. Think about this. Back in 2015, in the Davos agenda, they stated this, quote, a good narrative soundly beats even the best data. Wow, they're right, because no one's looking at data. And, and they go on to say, in the battle for hearts and minds of human beings, narrative will consistently outperform data in its ability to influence human thinking and motivate human action. Wow, they know how to use it. And they go, it's a matter of trust. Narratives are essential to storytelling and making sense of information. See? They know it, and they're doing it, and they're right. Meta-narratives serve as a religion because, as Hil uh, Hinchcliffe points out, most religions behave like grand narratives in that they seek to explain all of life, and other ways of looking at the world are interpreted as disillusions and deceptions. That's why they look at you and I as delusional and deceptive that we're trying to hurt them because they believe in a meta-narrative. And he goes on to say, through its great narrative initiative, the World Economic Forum will attempt to legitimize its narrative by placing its ideology upon a pedestal on the same moral level of religions. Did you catch that? They're going to try to put the whore of Babylon on the same pedestal as Christianity. In fact, they'll try to then eventually pole vault Christianity and put Babylonianism above Christianity and even Judaism, and Christianity will see, be seen as inferior to the whore of Babylon. That's what they're doing, and it, it, it's happening right now. So the biblical name for this meta-narrative is the whore of Babylon. That's the meta-narrative. Meta so, 
these global globalist elites, these Davos types, these these billionaires, they don't answer to anybody. And they have tons of money, billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. They're unelected. None of us elected them. And they already have their slogan for the meta narrative. The, the slogan for the great narrative initiative is build back better. That's their slogan for their narrative. So apparently this memo has been sent all, all through the nations. Joe Biden uses it, but they all use it. Build back better. You'll hear them say that. But that's the slogan for this, this narrative. They're all using it. They all have the talking points from the United States, to the UK, to France, to Australia, uh, Germany, Canada, New Zealand. Even Muslim countries are doing it now. It's all over the place. They all got the same memo, apparently. And they all use the phrase. And basically, this Build Back Better thing is based on a crisis that needs to be managed. So they have to build something better than what God established. God's system of economics, like the free market system. God's ways, God's morals, God's ethics. They have to change it to where God's the enemy now and their religion is the best. Again, let's look back at Genesis 11.4 again. Genesis 11.4 says this, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Let's talk a little bit about that. A name. So under the leadership of Nimrod, they plan to storm heaven and unify their power and prestige in a great worldwide system of worship. This is exactly what the Davos types, the billionaires, the elites are trying to do. They're making a name for themselves. They don't want to worship God's name and exalt, exalt his name. They want to exalt their own name as the gods of the planet, the saviors of the planet, right? That's what they're doing. So they're doing the same thing Nimrod and the people of Nim, uh, Nimrod's day did. So in this meta-narrative, they are coaxing people into it uh, by saying, we're going to make a name for ourselves. We'll, we'll, we'll be on the right side of history and we will go down as those who save the planet, those who saved humanity from all these crises. And so there's a, a, a carrot that's put in front of people that you'll be able to make a name for yourself. And that's what they're doing. And then the crisis. So again, the, Nimrod created a crisis. So if you look back in the text, he created a crisis. He created an existential threat. He manufactured this crisis, by the way, to get conformity. He convinced them that this crisis would happen again and that they needed to give up their rights as individuals and spread out and not spread out and stay in the city for peace and security. So the crisis was fear of dispersal, which was against God's command. They were to disperse, right? And the need to make a name for themselves was blended into the crisis. Well, what was the, what was the manufactured crisis? What was the, the false issue, the meta-narrative crisis? It was, we can't be scattered, guys, as God wants us to, because if we scatter, we're going to be vulnerable to perhaps wild animals attacking us as we go and spread out, other people in the world that want to hurt us. 
So guys, our survival for humanity cannot be to obey God and scatter because his command puts us at risk. You see how it works? And so guys, we've got to get together. This is a crisis. God is commanding us that would eliminate it and destroy us like he destroyed the humans back in the flood. You can see, almost hear the narrative, right? We've got to come together, guys. You've got to give up your individual rights because we have to survive as humanity because it appears that God wants to destroy us. And then, you know, its it, second thing was to provide a way of escape from the next flood. Now, the, Josephus notes this in his commentary about this particular passage. He says this, that Nimrod and his followers realized that they were in, uh, uh, were in obviously direct defiance to the command of God, but they went against it because they chose to build a tower that would reach into heaven to provide a way of escape from the wrath of God in the event of another flood. So that was the, that, that was the false crisis, was another flood could happen, guys. Uh, so yeah, you have the crisis of we scatter, we're going to be killed, and we've got to build a tower into the heavens because if a flood comes, we've got, we got to build it so high that we're going to be above the water. And so again, what was this all about? we got to come together for survival of the species. God is going to wipe us out again. So we have to function as a group in order to preserve the group. See how it works? And so now today, they're saying God's ways are preventing humanity from being saved, from saving the planet. It, God's ways are hurting humans, they say. So isn't it interesting? It's the same thing. Another reason is to protect themselves from God. Again, this is survival from God. Um, and basically, he was made to be the enemy, and he was to blame for the flood. They didn't include in their story about why the flood happened. They just included a partial information, right? And then the partial information is God destroyed humanity. Well, again, that's like propaganda, right? That's what's happening in the media. They give half the story, they give a false version of the story, or whatever, and they change the narrative to propaganda. They're lying. And so they, they, they put blame on the wrong people. Let's, deep, let's, let's dig down just a little further. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city. Okay, let us is an example of groupthink, a groupthink mentality from consensus building. Again, this is using the Hegelian dialectic to get consensus. You pose the antithesis and the thesis in odds, and you get a synthesis in the middle. That's where you get groupthink. That's where you get consensus building. It's a Hegelian dialectic. Again, all pagans do this. All the occult does this. All earth-based religions do this. And all unbelievers try to do this in their systems. It comes straight from the Tower of Babel. And their plan for the city might have been modeled after beehives and termite mounds. This is why beehives are a familiar sign in the occult. You see this in Mormonism of beehives. Well, that's what the, the, the city of, of, uh, of Babylon was formed after. And basically with beehives, it's the idea or termite mounds is there's a high degree of conformity and a common purpose in a place that puts everyone together. And, they, and, and notice what they wanted to do. They wanted to build a city. Uh, do, why, why did they want to have a desire for a city? Um, well, 
again, with cities, you can control people. They give you a false sense of security because you put a gate around them, you put a fence around them, but it's a false sense of security. Man's security is from God, not a city. But from Nimrod's standpoint, if you want to control people, you have to get them out of the rural areas and into the urban areas, which is exactly what they want now. That's why they're buying up farmland. This is why they don't want us sprawled out. They want us clumped up in cities because it's easier to control us. And then the second stage is they want not only want to build a city, but a tower. We call it the Tower of Babylon, but basically it's a ziggurat. And a ziggurat is related to a mountain, okay? Because they knew that God's abode is on a mountain. If you read uh, Revelation 21, that the new Jerusalem is on a mountain, a great high mountain. Okay, so uh, this is where the idea of a mountain comes from. So the ziggurats that they built were in the form of mountains. And you can see ziggurats all over the place in the world, whether it's in uh, you know Mexico with the Aztecs and Mayans or in China or different parts of the world, Thailand, they have these mounds or these temples that look like mountains, right? That's going back to the Tower of Babylon in a ziggurat. So with these towers, the goal was to reach the top of heaven or literally with its peak in the heavens. That's what it means. Basically to rebel against God. So the Midrash, the Jewish Midrash, they had their, their take on this and they said that the story ad, uh, even adds that the builders of the tower said Again, this is Midrash, so I'm not saying this is scripture, okay? But this is their commentary on it. That they said that the Babylonians, through oral tradition, okay, Jewish oral tradition, were saying this, that God has no right to choose the upper world for himself and to leave the lower world to us. Therefore, we will build us a tower with an idol on the top of it holding a sword so that it may appear as if uh, we intend to war with God. Now, that's interesting um, because it definitely has some credibility in, in many senses because they were doing it against God. And so that's what the Jewish Midrash, the oral, the oral law, talked about. The other aspects of this is, is that the, the Tower of Babel was to worship fallen angels. So at least in the first one, you can see the, the Horror of Babylon is battling against God, right? They're all battling against God. And now you see in the second aspect, they were worshiping fallen angels. So let me explain this. The building of this tower expressed the people's desire to form this new religion, okay? Satanically inspired. But the idea was that the tower would reach to the heavens to honor heaven and its angelic host because in the, the, um, this, the second heaven, yeah, the first heaven is atmosphere around earth. Second heaven is like space. And then the third heaven is where God dwells. The, th the second heaven or the second abode is where the fallen angels exist. And this, they have access to earth back and forth. And they have even access to God too. But anyway, that's their abode. So the tower was meant to worship the stars which represented the fallen angels and its hosts. So basically, it served as a central altar where man could offer sacrifice and worship to these creatures, to these fallen creatures. And again, they, they aligned the stars with these creatures. 
um, such as like Leo was the great king of heaven, okay? But that was a worshiping of a fallen angel. And perhaps these other identities um, were shown in sculptures and statues that lined the staircases and doorways to the tower. So basically, they invented a mystery religion that centered around stars and fallen angels, which basically was the antithesis of God's salvation story. So in their story, it is God who is an evil tyrant over mankind, and it is Satan who is the one who set men free from God's rule and opened man's eyes to the pleasures of life. It is Satan in their system who will one day return as a man. Notice that. And defeat God and take over the rulership as God. That's what they taught, okay? This new religion is depicted in the stars and still around today, right? Uh, we see it in astrology. Um, but I understand what this is about. So if you look in the book of Revelation, they will be worshiping demons and fallen angels. It says that in the book of Revelation. And God allows the, these demons to attack them, these fallen angels to attack them. And what do they do after they're attacked? After five months, they go back to worshiping them. So what's getting ready to happen, you have to prepare your mind for this, is you will start seeing people worship what the whore of Babylon is presenting, that you can worship these deities. Now, they may not call them deities. They may call them avatars, aliens, uh, people from the future, whatever they might say, spirit creatures, whatever. They, they're not going to call them demons. They're not going to call them fallen angels. They're, they're going to call them something else. But this is going to be introduced eventually in this narrative that you can worship these other things. It's ancient paganism, but that's coming. That's what they did at the Tower of Babel, and it will come again. Furthermore, the tower made people think that they could be like God. And again, even take Nimrod and Semiramis, his wife, they wanted to build a, this pyramid-like structure that they can look over the entire city from their home on the rooftop. And the idea wasn't that they would build it so high as to reach God, but that they would perch themselves up upon a mountain, such as God is described in Scripture, so they, they could overlook everybody in the city. And so perhaps you're, you might be familiar with the symbol of a pyramid with an all-seeing eye on the top of that, that goes straight back to Babylon. Nimrod became associated with this symbol as the one who could sit atop the unholy mountain, the pyramid, and see everything what the people were doing. It is essentially what we call the symbol of Lucifer's eye. And oddly, we find that symbol all over the place. It's on even the American dollar bill. Um, I mean, it's everywhere, this all-seeing eye of Lucifer that sits atop of the pyramid. So this tower was attempted by Nimrod and Satan to control humanity and to become a god. It is the oldest lie in the world from our enemy, right? He told Adam and Eve this. He told Eve this specifically, you can become a god. And, and this is what the narrative will tell people. In doing so, in trying to save the world and all these crises, we will have collective salvation, and then you will be pole vaulted into godhood. You will become greater than what you are now. 
You will cease to be human and be something different. You will be transhuman. You will go beyond being human. If you do this thing for collective salvation, you too can become a god. And that's what the religious aspect is going to lure people in on that. Furthermore, what we have to understand, with the Tower of Babel, it was also a gateway to the spiritual realm. The term Babylon in Hebrew, Babel, means gate of God. The point is that they wanted a portal or a gate between this world and the spiritual realm to build a dimensional gateway to either allow entrance of more pre-flood types of watchers or basically fallen angels or allow humans entrance into that world. And believe it or not, they really thought that as human beings, they could use this portal to transition into the heavenly realm and possibly attack God and sit on God's throne as a God. I mean, that's how crazy it is. But you can see how satanically that, it, that is inspired, right? So this portal served as an entrance into the spiritual realm. So it was basically, the, the, the tower was basically a stargate to permit an avenue for additional watchers, Genesis 6, or fallen angels, to inhabit the earth, and to allow deluded Nimrod and deluded human beings to think that they could go through this portal to ascend to a heavenly dimension and battle with God. And you think, oh my goodness, that's so evil. But guys, I'm telling you, it's going to come again. This is what the narrative is going to push. That, that whatever they propose, we're going to have a portal. And we can go in there and be spiritual creatures and manipulate the world to our liking, to our, our uh, favor. And eventually, in the tribulation, they will not see God as friend or Jesus as friend. They will see him as an enemy. And that's why the whole world gathers against the Messiah when he comes back. They turn their guns on Jesus because it's the same mentality. We're going to do war with God. It's crazy. I know it's evil, it's, but it's ancient, but now it's here today. So guys, as you look in the past about Babylon, that was man's first counterfeit satanically driven religion from which all other false religions come from that are here today. This is where they all originated from. She's the mother of harlots. Uh, that's it, it's, it's where everything sprang from, right? The mother of harlots, everything sprang from her. That's what we're talking about today. Except this is the reoccurrence of the Whore of Babylon, which will be the second to last final world religion that will bind everyone together and what they're building now. The final world religion will be the religion of the Antichrist when all the world worships him. But right now, we see the Whore forming and sinking her teeth into our society and we're now seeing the first stages of her in this great narrative initiative. Well, folks, just a couple of announcements before we go. One, uh, we've been kicked off of Vimeo, so we're only using Rumble right now. So make sure you have your Rumble account and you can follow the link here and uh, it'll take you to our Rumble account. Again, we're working on our server we're trying to get our platform up, our individual platform on our website so that we can give our videos there. 
which will be unedited and, and you'll see the full version, obviously. And so we're working on that, but go to Rumble for the, this point on. And uh, make sure you're on our text alert system uh, so that you, we can notify you of guest speakers. We can notify you of changes. So follow this link, put your information in. It won't, the system won't respond to you. It won't confirm that you've signed in, but if you just do it, it'll sign you up and you'll get on our text alert system. And lastly, we ask for your prayers. We need them tremendously. We're under great spiritual attack uh, because of the things we say and the things we expose. And so we need you to be praying for us. Everything, everything that you could pray for us, please pray. We're, we're hit at all levels, all levels spiritually. And second, if you could help us out financially, that would be great. We're not going to make a church. We're, we're a fairly small church. Um, we're trying to make our way. We're trying to get our own property. We're trying to get um, uh, just being able to function with a staff and expand that staff so we can continue to do this as a ministry. We think it's vital. We want to make sure the remnant out there and the truth seekers out there get information that they're not getting from the you know the media. And even from their own church, I hate to say it, a lot of churches just simply don't talk about anything anymore. They're not talking about what's going on. They won't even talk about current events for some reason. So we want to do that, but we pay a high price for that, not only in persecution and spiritual attacks, but it takes money. It takes money to do all this. We have to hire people to edit things, and we have to have a whole crew that, that deals with this. And so um, if you could help us out, that would be tremendous. If you just want to give us to give to the general uh, fund, you can. If you want to give to the building ministry that we're trying to build our building, we're about a year away. Uh, you can do so, however you want, however you want. But we need help, and so you can give online. Just go to rockharperchurch.net, hit the giving tab, and you can do it right through there, which is probably the easiest. Or you can mail in a check or money order to Rock Harbor Church, P.O. Box ten eight six eight. Bakersfield, California, uh, 93389. So anyway, uh, we would appreciate that. Well, we got to go. So remember what the Lord said. When you see these things begin to happen, like the, the, the Great Reset uh, or the Great Narrative Initiative, which is going to be the meta-narrative for the Whore of Babylon, when you see these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draws near. God bless you. We'll see you next time.